Welcome to the Black Psychologist Podcast, where we have conversations and give insight into human behavior and promote mental health wellness. I'm Dr. Kyle Osborne, and with my co-host, Dr. Jason Coleman, we'll discuss health topics, everyday life issues, and try to give you a better understanding of yourself, other people, and the world around you. So just sit back, relax, and hopefully you'll leave with some information that'll have you live in your best, healthy life. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to the Black Psychologist Podcast, also known as the eighth wonder of the world. We're back like we never left. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcasts, and thanks for watching us on YouTube. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. Anything less than five stars is uncivilized. I am one half of your humble and gracious host, Dr. Kyle Osborne. He is I and I am him. And of course, you all know I'm not flying this aircraft by myself. I'm here with the one and only. He is the Ayatollah of psychology and the best in the world at what he does. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Jason Coleman. What's going on with you, my guy? I'm good, man. You know, just, um, you know, another week, you know, of course. We thankful for anybody who takes the time to listen, um, you know, but I'm here, man. Just another week, just grinding. But we got a, a special guest tonight, right? Yes, we do. We, they are in for a special treat. We had to go and go get reinforcements on this thing. All right. Let me tell you about this gentleman. All right. From the streets of New York to the roads of Alabama to the academic hallways of Virginia. This gentleman is the star of the IG live segment, Casual Conversations with Dr. G. And you can catch them dropping mental health gems on the Just Heal Bro Tour. You can also catch him educating the bright minds of our youth at the historic Hampton University. And now I want to take a little time out to highlight that particular esteemed position, right? Because we're not just talking any educator and professor, all right? This guy is the psychology department chair associate professor at Hampton University, y'all. And with over 17 years of providing clinical counseling and therapy to individuals and families, all right, I give to you, Dr. O'Shane Gadsden. How are you, sir? I am well, brothers. Thank you for having me. I am excited. First of all, I'm excited to see two black male psychologists. <laughs> that is, uh, as you know, we are still, unfortunately, unicorns uh, in the field. And so it's wonderful to be invited uh, by two esteemed black male psychologists who are uh, credentialed, who are in the field, who are community oriented. I'm just happy to be here. Thank you. Bro, we feel the same way. So welcome, welcome aboard. Definitely appreciate yes. it. We are more than honored. I think that's an understatement. Uh, we absolutely appreciate you taking the time out of your hectic and busy schedule uh, to take some time to hang out and communicate with us and break bread. So we really appreciate. I'm feeling the shirt that you got on there with the spiritual gangster. I peeked it. Yeah, yeah. This was a gift from a clinician herself. And she, uh, just how she said, uh, she felt uh, I emanated that 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 energy. So she she saw it and said it was you, Doctor Gatson. And so she purchased it for me. So I appreciate this gift uh, 
and I wear it so often. <laughs> I do. I like it. Speaking of you, um, can you take some time to uh, share with us your journey into the mental health field? Um, as we said a little earlier before we got on, it's uh, it's always fascinating how um, you know individuals such as ourselves arrive at our position, right? There's a lot, there's similarities, but there's some nuances and an overlap, but there's everybody's road is different and individualized to what their background and what their experiences are. So can you share with us, um, you know, your journey into the, the mental health field and how you've arrived at, at your current point? Well, you know, um, I was actually in ministry uh, at the age of 12, 18. I was on track to becoming a, uh, and I did become an ordained minister within the Pentecostal faith, uh, oneness uh, Pentecostal faith, if anyone is uh, is familiar with that particular denomination. And it was while I was in Bible college, it was before, but while I was in Bible college, I was having my own sort of uh, metamorphosis or uh, emotional, spiritual, dissonant experience. And uh, I was battling really whether or not I continue to believe the doctrine and theology um, because I was coming into awareness uh, around psychological development and emotional development. And I felt like the tradition in which I was a part of at that time, at least, did not have a nuanced understanding or articulation of how uh, one operated or how one functioned uh, from a holistic perspective. And, and so I made the decision to leave my sophomore year, uh, left uh, that religious experience. But for me, it wasn't just a religious experience. It was my community. And so I left everything I knew, everyone I, I knew, and that everything that was important to me that gave me a sense of self at that time and um, sort of, you know, from a biblical perspective for those that are uh, in that particular uh, religion uh, or sort of religious tradition, I went on, went into my own wilderness experience and really, uh, really took some time to reflect and, and to really deeply explore, you know, who, who am I? You know, what, what am I here for? How, how do I make use of uh, the things in which I learned, internalized, and some of the things I felt that were still really integral to who I felt I was, uh, particularly around healing and around wanting people to be their best selves. That, that was really still a big part of my identity. How was I going to reconcile that with leaving the religiosity uh, as I understood it uh, at that time? I'm going to have to pause, brother, and get this. Uh, I mean, that, that, yep. that experience really um, was uh, a metamorphosis for me. And um, so um, I, I left, went back to New York, my home. Home, home place. I was in college in Delaware at the time in Bible college. And I went and completed my bachelor's degree. It was a, a long process. I didn't sort of like go back immediately and finish, you know, straight through. I, I took some breaks. I lived. I was, a you know, I'm a New Yorker. I lived life. Um, and then I found psychology. Uh, actually, my undergraduate degree, but uh, the human development degree uh, demanded that there were a number of psychologists that had to be taken. Right. And I fell in love with uh, psychology and began to think about 
how I could merge um, the importance of uh, spirituality was still important to me at that time, how I could merge that uh, with psychological principles. And really at that time, I was thinking about how I could specifically integrate both and bring that knowledge to uh, spiritual community. Uh, and, and that's what led me to Columbia for my master's degree. How difficult was that transition of you blending the, you know, both of those worlds? Lots of therapy, <laughs> lots of insight oriented therapy, uh, because for me, I had to let go a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. Uh, because although cognitively and, and somewhat effectively or emotionally, I knew that there was something uh, that I needed to expand, uh, there still was that internalization of those principles and this idea that maybe you were shifting away from the will of God or from what you were supposed to be doing. Um, and so I had to uh, really uh, reconcile that in therapy and in my own life around uh, the right that I had the right to to reimagine, to expand, to recreate, but also that I didn't have to lose everything and that I could integrate those parts of myself that I did feel were, were integral uh, and really added to my identity and, and really help others or, uh, in that space or in similar spaces make sense of themselves. You know, I... No, I was just going to say, um, you know, I just I find that, you know, real interesting. I wanted to know what you how you feel about that, too, you know, Kyle, because, again, Dr. Gasson was talking about, you know, wanting people to, you know, helping people to reach their, their inner selves. Right. Um, and that's kind of, you know, something that, you know, we kind of talk about. That's a reoccurring theme in terms of when we're talking about males, especially black males. Right. Um, we talk a lot on this platform about like identity formation, right? Challenges that we have. Um, and it, and you know, and kind of looking back through some of you know, Dr. Gasson's work like a long time ago, he's done a lot, a lot of work, but it kind of lines up with some of the things that we're taught we've been talking about now in terms of um being spiritually imprisoned, right? Um, and 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 having barriers to you reaching your potential and reaching your future. And those, and the reason why that kind of was very salient to me in terms of what I was reading and even what he's saying now, right, in terms of helping people reach their best selves is because those are kind of the reoccurring things that I still see with young men st struggling with right now, right? Um, and it kind of goes back to even what you were saying in terms of us being kind of minorities in the, in the field, right? Um, and it being few of us, right? There even having this conversation on a daily basis, what we're doing is breaking down stigma, right? We are introducing people to, to subjects that, you know, a lot of people feel like, um, you know, in talking about them are very intimidating, right? Um, so I was just wondering, do you, do you, like, what, how do you feel about that, Kyle? Like, what, what are you seeing on a daily basis? Um, and what are like some of the challenges you're seeing people dealing with, like that are coming into your office on a daily basis? Some of the things, and, and I absolutely want to get uh, Dr. Gaston to kind of expound on this, because I've heard him um, touch on this in some of his uh, previous lectures and, and endeavors, um, is that spiritual component, right? That um, that I feel like 
the typical um, mental health paradigms are missing, right? So it's like historically, one of the barriers I feel like or what I've seen in regards to Black men either getting treatment or even being successful in treatment or therapy is that the typical white mental health um, paradigms don't include or don't integrate don't integrate the spiritual component that's so like you mentioned jay sagan to us right i feel like you know and i know and, and you know also doc is that when we are trying to develop rapport right with any type of client or patient that comes into our office or we have sitting in front of us how do we hook them right if we don't have rapport and we don't get that mechanism or we don't get something that's going to hook them so they'll either stay and, and continue to even buy into treatment or therapy, then we're going to lose them, right? It's it's gonna it's not going to matter. I feel like that's one of the barriers that uh, the spirituality component that's what's missing. And I would love to get your take on it, um, Dr. Gadsden, if, you know, to kind of expound or if you agree for the reason that like if you don't have that part that's speaking to us, because historically the spirituality component has been a part of our culture for years, right? We've grown up a lot of us in some form of, you know, or to some extent, if it wasn't church or spirituality or religion in our household, we, our grandparents or our aunt or whoever we went to go spend time with or spend summers with or whoever, you were in church, right? Even for the main two holidays for Easter and Christmas, you were in church. And there's that component overlaps and spills into other different avenues of our life. So I feel like that's a barrier that sometimes isn't included in your kind of prototypical uh, mental health paradigms. And I feel like that's the missing component. What do you what do you think about that, Dr. Gesson? I think that's very true. I mean, there there have been some developing, well, probably over the last 15 years. Uh, and of course, I believe that even they have their own division around spirituality, APA. There have been developing protocols or uh, protocols that one can add uh, as a resource uh, in a, uh, while you're doing assessment or while you're doing intakes uh, as you're gathering that initial psycho, psychobiological histor historical information around the ways in which people, uh, first of all, operationalize, understand spirituality, religion with it, with, from their own subjective experience. And so I think that those tools in and of themselves are, are, are great resources to use. But I think that this conversation, given uh, one of the points you made earlier around us not being homogeneous, that um, we have an opportunity with even within the Black community or minoritized populations to really expand how we understand spirituality, right? So when I think about spirituality now from a decongolized and extended perspective, I'm thinking about the two greatest ethos, uh, African ethos are, are values, which what is self-determination and self-understanding or self-knowledge. And so I think we have an opportunity to, first of all, expand how we define spirituality from the subjectivity of our patients and uh, folks within our community, uh, from the versatility and intersectional lives uh, that, we, uh, uh, that we represent. And then we also have the opportunity to um, uh, uh, bring people's uh, traditional, let's just say it like that, traditional spiritual tradi um, uh, paradigms 
belief systems into the therapy uh, 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 consultation room as protective factors, as a way to help them uh, make sense of these psychological principles from their own vantage point. And so I do think, obviously, from a, from a, a collective perspective and from a historical perspective, that spirituality is obviously an important principle uh, within the African-American community, whether it's traditional, whether it's religion, or whether it's expansive, non-traditional. And so I think that clinicians have to uh, be able to be thoughtful and be curious about the ways in which uh, uh, people of African descent are understanding spirituality uh, uh, and using that language and those paradigms uh, as, 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 as resources of helping uh, people ma manage and navigate heal and reconcile those presenting issues and, 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 and problems that, that, that they bring. So what that looks like for me in my practice over the years is, you know, from the religious person who, um, uh, who wants to begin his sessions or her sessions with prayer and in their sessions with prayer to the person who uh, wants to talk about uh, how to uh, integrate Buddhism within the context of being an African-American. You know, whatever the subjectivity of our patients are, is, excuse me, that we are open uh, uh, to bring their language and bring that into uh, helping them understand themselves. And so I think I'll say this lastly, and this is not something that every clinician has to believe, but uh, from my perspective, you know, I see... Um, uh, diagnostic criteria or symptoms or, you know, things like depression, anxiety, et cetera, as spiritual uh, phenomena. I see it, I, I, I see it as a, a, a conflict of number one, uh, uh, not a conflict, but a reaction to and consequence of whiteness and, uh, of colonization. Uh, and I see it, uh, much of the symptoms uh, and things that we call disorder as a function of being out of order by, in terms of our cultural identity, uh, of not really being attuned to who we are culturally and who we are spiritually. And, they, and it, the manifestation of those things happen as depression, anxiety. And so for me, if I'm believing that paradigm, uh, all things that the client or patient brings is good for the grist, right? It's, it's, it's important to really establish, to explore and to deeply understand and to help the patient uh, create the most authentic self that they, are, that they are comfortable with and that makes sense for them. Uh, Dr. Gasson, I, I wanted to follow up on something that you said because I, I feel like it's very important. Um, I, and I feel like we're talking about two different continuums here which is which is great um but what i wanted to get both of you guys opinion on is i think like us as people of, of color i think it is our job to kind of bring everything into the room that will help our patient right so if we have a patient you know that goes to the masjid or a patient that goes to church or i think it's our job to make room for that and bring that into sessions right but i think for all of us as people of color i think we have some type of familiarity with some type of quote unquote, like organized religion on that end. But I, I wanted to know what your experience was in terms of the other end. And I'm glad you mentioned Buddhism, right? Because my experience is, you know, I, I'm a person like I'm I'm very much into mindfulness. You know, I, I appreciate yoga, you know, I hiking, connecting with nature. And I still consider myself and identify as as a Christian, right? So I very much 
have integrated those parts of myself. We, we still got Dr. Gadsden with us? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so I guess my question to you is, how do you see, you know, mindfulness fit into that, especially in the aspect of like treating trauma? And when we talk about people of color, like how does it play out in your interactions with people, right? Because I, I know that my experience is, is uh, in my experience, it's like connecting mindfulness with trauma and, you know, getting my patients to understand and embrace that it might help them. There's almost as much stigma around mindfulness and some of those, you know, interventions as there is around, you know, embracing mental health in general and understanding that as people of color, it is just something that we deserve, you know, the same way other people deserve it. So I was wondering, like, how just what's your opinion in terms of how mindfulness, you know, um, fits into that? And, you know, both of you, like kind of how how has it played out in your experience? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that uh, for me, as I understand an, an integrated mindfulness is that capable of being present um, and, and sitting with and being able to tolerate all or any of the emotions and thoughts that come up and not being afraid of them, but using them to more deeply understand uh, what those thoughts, those feelings symbolize about the split off self. Uh, and so I think for me, as I practice, um, you know, uh, whether I am helping patients to actually sit still in the moment <laughs> so, and to sit still and to, to honor the anxiety, to honor the depression, uh, which is, you know, as you actually you see you shaking your head, which a lot of people are like, what? That, that yeah. sounds, you yeah. know, antithetical. Uh, but really teaching you know, and helping people develop the skill of uh, of not allowing these things to overtake them and to and to be able to sit with them, honor them, and get the information that they need from them so that they can reconcile them. I think is radical, and I think that with patients that I've used that with, uh, it, it is radical. And and so what I've tried to do, particularly to your point with with folks who come from a more religious background, is to show them the um, transposition of that principle from their religious experience. So like, for example, the meditation or the mindfulness from a Christian perspective would be being in the spirit, yielding to the spirit, you know, so, okay. so trying my best with patients who have that sort of uh, dissonance or these, these principles might create dissonance of showing them how there, there, there are quite similarities, even right. within faith and helping them to merge that and, and, and then helping them to create a practice that is inclusive and comfortable given their identity, given their values, and given those things that are important to them. I hope that somewhat answers some of what you're asking about. Oh, oh no, that, that's enlightening, and it makes a lot of sense. Um, it, it makes a lot of sense because, you know, it kind of it's kind of a, a simple analogy, but when you say that, talking about people with, like, a spiritual background, drawing those analogies is kind of... It makes me think back to when I'm talking to people with like a strict scientific background and I'm kind of talking to them about things we do in a session, like diaphragmatic breathing and other things and the physiological reactions of the body behind it. And then all of a sudden they understand, <laughs> you know, uh, when you start talking about stress response and relaxation and all of these things. So, you know, I appreciate that. appreciate that. I definitely feel and believe that it's the psychoeducation piece, right? Because I think that's what a lot of people struggle with. And a lot of times 
individuals, as much as it can be a protective factor, um, you know, their religions, uh, their spiritual background, it can also sometimes promote rigid beliefs. And, and so they're, they're not going to want to step out of their comfort zone. And so something that we, you know, that I try to, you know, just in whether it's through groups, whether it's through just, you know, social media or, or any type of opportunity is really trying to highlight and advocate that, you know, the black experience is such an eclectic experience, right? It's not just you have one particular background or experience. And this is every, every black person's background. It's help the clients and our patients understand that yeah, like you just mentioned yeah absolutely you could be a hardcore christian and absolutely here's the concept of mindfulness and like you mentioned all right how do we integrate the two right how do you assimilate this into your already kind of established kind of cues and framework and when you start to make those similarities and say hey you know like mindfulness is you know you assimilate to to like prayer Right. Or you, 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 you kind of, it's that meeting them where they're at and kind of a speaking into a language that they can get involved with or that they can kind of, like you mentioned, Jay, when you're speaking to someone that's coming from the, the medical or scientific model. And then when you kind of bring in the diaphragmatic and you start utilizing, you know, human anatomy, physiology type of um, terms, then they get it. And so I think that's kind of the, the aspect um, that's probably the most helpful is kind of giving them that education piece and saying like, hey, you can still absolutely celebrate, you know, whatever particular religion. And but you can also have this particular, you know, concept that can be helpful. And especially like if we're talking about, like, say, mindfulness, for an example, people get so used to avoidance. Right. Like, I don't want to experience this anxiety or this depression or whatever this uncomfortable feeling is. So it's just trying to have them again, like you mentioned, be in the moment also without judgment. And that's yes. the difficult part, like, because it, we're in our analytical mind and we always want to judge. We want to avoid, we want to escape this, this discomfort. And that's, that's the difficult part. But that's, that's real, especially what he said about sitting still in the moment, right? Especially with trauma, right? Because we know it's, um, you know, especially culturally and just in generally, it does not specific to culture, but avoid to avoid is the natural reaction right and just explaining to people when we talk about anxiety you know the reason why i was i was shaking my head like that is because it's something i say to people all the time like sitting with learning to sit with the feeling right that a lot of times like learning to sit with that feeling right like there is no such thing as necessarily getting over trauma but you can learn to write like manage it the same way you can learn to manage anxiety and other things so when when wow. when Dr. Gadsden was saying sit still in the moment, you know, it resonated with me because I, I I have told patients that over and over when we're practicing and processing, right? Sitting with the feelings, right? Um, so I think also we as clinicians also have to be open to all right, what a patient they're not gonna just come in, especially if there's someone that looks like us, it's not gonna just be as far as their religion or spirituality. It's not going to just be one or two things. It's not going to just be Islam or it's not going to be Christianity, right? Like you mentioned, you can have individuals that are Jewish. You can have individuals that are, can come in that are going to be, like you said, Buddhism, like all these other different types of spiritualities. And then also, I think the education piece that religion is not the same thing as spirituality, right? And helping them distinguish that. So because sometimes it's that, like you mentioned, Dr. Gadsden earlier, it's the guilt. 
right? When you're so fused to something that's been a part of your value system for such a long period of time, and now you're teaching me, or now this is we have this other different concept that sounds like religion, but it's not religion, or it's like, and they don't have that kind of understanding what the distinguishes the two, and now you can still celebrate this at the same time incorporate something new that can be really helpful, can be different. But as us as clinicians, we, I think, have to kind of get out, okay, not all black people are Christian and it is a lot of, like, it's such a different, um, such a variety, different dynamics of the spirituality component. So I think that's something as we just kind of generally speaking have to also be open-minded to learning and understanding that they come in all different types of shapes and sizes. And I think that, I think to your point, uh, which I agree to also the gradations of that, right. Even within certain religious experiences and religion, uh, religious, um, uh, paradigms. I remember I, I I had a patient who I saw probably for two years. He was a gay black male when I was practicing in D.C., bl- gay black male scientist, Ph.D. level, uh, Catholic. Okay. <laughs> oh, so one of the biggest, it is, 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 is presenting problem was anxiety. Uh, anxiety, our performance and around selfhood and and some of the sexual orientation piece because he had just come out. And but you you have this guy who is a scientist, brilliant, who is coming with this linear thinking in in, in many ways, but all very rigid, um, very black and white. And then uh, Catholicism. Right. How, and, and he understood it and even practiced it from that rigid sort of uh, positionality. Uh, and, but then he was also big into reparations. So there was a so he was a black Catholic. And so what black Catholicism meant for him was very different than white Catholicism. And so like those gradations well, as well, I think is very important for us to take into consideration around not making lots of assumptions as I went to Catholic school and had a, Catholic background, uh, but certainly the way in which he practiced, understood his sense of self, his religious sense of self, his spiritual sense of self, was so coached. The culture was so woven into woven into it that it couldn't be separated. And so, what he looked like as a black Catholic gay man looked very different than maybe a heterosexual black man who who also uh, practiced Catholicism. Uh, they related to all of these other intersections of identity. So I think when you bring all of those things into it, we as clinicians have to just continue, as I know you brothers know, to just listen, <laughs> to not be quick uh, to give a solution and not be quick uh, to conceptualize, but to allow uh, the joining of the patient, as we talked about the rapport, uh, to give us different aspects of who is sitting with us and and uh, and allow for 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 that unfolding to happen moment by moment. Yeah, there there are so many different variables, like you mentioned, with an individual that comes in presenting with so many different interchangeable pieces. Because even the symptomatology could look different, right? Like so, for the the individual that you just presented, their anxiety could present totally different. Then, like you said, if that person were white and heterosexual, right, they're what they it might look like some type of, you know, more physical or semantic type of complaint. Like, and like you mentioned, it's kind of taking that step back. Okay, let me look at all the different variables of what this person is presenting and along the spectrum in each category, right? Because, like, that is what diversity is. That's what being culturally competent 
really looks like is when you're taking in consideration about, okay, this individual is so multi-layered, it has so much going on, but it's not going to look like, you know, your textbook, this is what anxiety is. Because they may come in and say, hey, I'm experiencing this, and it can look completely different than what, like you said, our our criteria of as far as we're going to conceptualize or come from. So um, you really have to be, you know, like get continue to stay up on the jargon, continue to be open minded, continue to read um, and be patient because that can be tough too. Like, like you, you have 17 years, you know, in this field. And, you know, when, when earlier on, like, you know, Jay and I are three, four years removed from, um, you know, from graduation. And, you know, sometimes we get the urge to want to go right in. You know, you want to be like, oh, I, I think I know what this is. And absolutely, you know, one of the biggest um, issues in addition to not getting treatment is getting misdiagnosed, right? Especially in our community. Like it's pretty much out of where you're talking about schizophrenia, you're talking about depression, you're talking about bipolar, like, you know, ADHD to autism. Like our people are like in each category go as misdiagnosed just due to a lack of understanding, a lack of knowledge, a lack of taking in all of these other different crucial personal variables. Um, and that's absolutely something that um, I can speak for myself that I have to absolutely remain like, okay, let's look, don't be so rushed to jump in and, and trade, you know, a, a treatment plan for what we think this may be. Jay, how's that been for you? What'd you say? How's that been for you in regards to, like you mentioned, having a patient or having a client come in and they just have so many other different variables and other different moving pieces in regards to, you know, not being wanting to rush to kind of jump well, in? I mean, listen, it, it's, it's, it lines up exactly the same thing like what Dr. Gadsden said with just listening and what you are talking about with people being multifaceted in terms of their problems. I, listen, one thing I, I mean, it, it's kind of like um, a, a joke, even though the issues that we deal with are, are very serious, right? Like I, the last thing I do is prejudge a patient, right? Like I open the file, I read it, right? And then I know, so I know an issue is coming in and then I kind of erase my mind in, as to what profile of person I think is coming in because the only, the, the, the times that I have allowed my mind to go there, like this person is going to, might be resistant. This person may talk to me, may not talk to me. It's always different, right? Why? Because as we all were taught and as we learned, you know, depression doesn't just walk into your office by itself, right? It's going to come wrapped in a certain, you know, blanket or, you know, wrapped in a certain cloak, you know, touched by this, touched by that. Um, and especially for me, because, again, when we deal with abuse and neglect, um, trauma in general, when we talk about our community, right, there's always so many layers, you know, whether it's generational stuff, you know, whether it's, you know, challenges with emotions, whether it's poverty stuff, you know, whether it's community violence, you know, it's all wrapped in together. So, like I tell people, you know, um, a lot of times, again, we see the behavioral symptoms of what a person's life, you know, um, of, of what a person's life has either has done to them, has exposed them to um, and how and sometimes like how they're reacting to it. Right. Um so again, like you said, you can know, <laughs> you can think you know what's going on, right? And you can put out small fires. And a lot of people, 
live and they they consume services and they go to professional after professional and institution after institution and they have fires being small fires being put out right um and that's why a lot of times you have people screaming and crying for people that are culturally competent right but what they're they're really saying is somebody that will listen and take the time to kind of peel back those layers and you know um understand you know kind of you know what what is the root of the cause of the problem right and and unfortunately you know with people of color you know it takes more than you know um a rudimentary understanding right you got to understand it you got to understand foundationally like what makes people tick you know what what are some of the things that impact us so um you know i i agree with that right culture is one thing but when you add trauma to it um it takes it in a whole different place right um in terms of just diagnosing depression or just just diagnosing anxiety i don't think i've just diagnosed anything ever yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean um there's always a hundred z codes and, and, and you know because it's it's never just one thing that's clean you know i make the argument uh i created a, a model a transposed a model from uh pvst margaret spencer created a model called pvst phenomenological variant epistemological theory, and I transposed it to the Black male-centered uh, uh, perspective. And I make the argument that most Black boys, their developmental, uh, even across the developmental um, uh, lifespan, but certainly their primary developmental lives uh, are, are full of trauma. Uh, and that Black boys then often did not get an opportunity to uh, navigate a normal developmental trajectory <laughs> uh, that uh, was devoid of logical, familial, uh, systemic uh, trauma, whether that's proximal or distal. Uh, and so, uh, so I, when you talk about trauma, I think that to your point, uh, it's a curative thing. People get an opportunity uh, to have a different experience because often black men in particular, black folks in general, are, are not validated, are not seen, are not given space just to breathe. And so to your point, when you allow a space like that for, for folks who have uh, uh, experienced all types of trauma in, in the consultation room where they can just sit, many patients I, that, that I've given that opportunity, it feels weird to them. So I'm right. just going to say, yes, we can right. take just a minute. I'm going to bill you, but this is, you can just sit here. And for many of them, it's it's radical, but it's also curative because what we're doing is not only are we allowing them the space to reconcile things, but we're, we're teaching them a new way of being, giving them a new paradigm of possibility that I don't have to rush. I don't have to keep struggling. I don't have to perform, but I can take this new affective experience that I'm having in the room with you and apply it to different relationships and to different places in my life and take ownership in a new way where I get to recreate the ways in which I'm going to feel, the ways in uh, how I'm going to experience myself and how I'm going to experience other people. Now, that's not an automatic process, right? It doesn't happen automatically, right. but it is beautiful process when you get to watch patients uh, who you've seen for a year or months uh, come to a place of not just reconciliation, 
recreating the pattern of being <laughs> uh, uh, or, re- or creating a new pattern of being that they didn't start with when, when they began therapies. It's such a, when I, when I tell people or kind of try to explain it to them, like it's such a, it's a, it's a foreign environment that we're, we're putting individuals in, right? Because like you said, they're always from day one, from being young and depending on what type of childhood or, you know, situation that they're in, you know, their development gets totally disrupted, right? From so many other different avenues of, and they're being told, okay, this is what, um, your life is going to look like, right? This is what you can expect, whether it's coming from either a lack of a, a black role model or male or whether it's in school, whether it's going through all these other different types of aspects of, you know, institutionalized racism, it's, you know, their development, they just don't have that opportunity, like you mentioned, um, to actually have a fully developed fundamental, um, you know, childhood and be able to hit those benchmarks. And so, you know, it's funny and always interesting when I tell people like, yeah, they're shocked when they come into a space where we're just like, oh, you know, you can take your time, you can say whatever you, you want, you know, we're, we're gonna be here. You know, I'm not forcing you to talk. I'm not, you know, you don't have to do this, not rushing you. And it's like, so foreign. Like they look at you, like you just ask them some type of difficult arithmetic problem or something. And they're looking at you like, Oh, you know, I, I don't have to say anything like that. Nah, listen, you can say whatever you want to say. We can start wherever you want to. Be. And like you mentioned, as you see them evolve, as they start to buy in, they start to learn some of these other different, um, you know, skills. It's like you get to see like that self-actualization. Well, well once they, they get there and, and it, it's, a, it's a great thing. It's one of the most rewarding aspects, I think, of our field. I think one thing I would add to that is it also when you provide that space, right? and you provide the safe space and you can grow to become the safe person, right? I think it also exposes our deficits mm-hmm. as a culture. And what I mean by that is what we, what we do to our boys, our males at a young age in terms of stunting like their emotional growth. And I'm not talking about intent, you know, because I do believe that we care about our children, um, but in general, in terms of treating young boys like they're men right and i don't know how everybody else experiences but we talked about this in terms of watching it play out in the waiting room right we all know the old analogy where a a four-year-old girl and a four-year-old boy fall and we're gonna go pick up the little girl and we're gonna wipe her tears and we're gonna tell the boy to stand up and be a man and stop crying right um and i think you see you know um you kind of see that you, you that you reap what you sow when we have 40, 50 year old men that are in our office, right? And, and we have finally created the space where things are safe and the environment is safe and the person is safe and they don't have the skills, right? Either to express themselves, right? Or to, or to uh, properly um, relax and self-soothe, right? Because either they've never been taught or they've never felt comfortable enough to do that, right? Without feeling like it impacts their manhood or identity somehow. Um, and again, I, I, the reason why I said it exposed our, uh, exposes us like our deficits is because, again, teenage boys, we've talked about this, right? Kyle, like I get out the, the whiteboard and we talk about the, the, the expectations unrealistically when it comes to manhood and what defines manhood for 
select groups of people of, of color as to everybody else, right? And what are the things that we got to be willing to die for that nobody else has to be willing to die for, right? At 14, 16. So I think, again, just to piggyback on that, I think it also exposes our deficits because, you know, we don't allow our fourth, fifth, 10th grade boys to be children and express and, and express their emotions because, you know, we, we reinforce the fact that they're men, you know, since, since they're, since they were six, seven, eight years old. So just wanted to add that. Yeah. It's, um, I'll say this really, um, absolutely. I think that that's contributed due to, you have the internalized racism. Uh, you have the aspect of the situation where, again, we're, we're, Having a picture, whether they're getting it from the older males, which might be uncles, people, you know, uh, older siblings or whoever, um, a lack of them or just like they see it in social media. Right. They see it on TV. This is what a guy or what a male is supposed to be. Right. So that's where the masculinity, right. The hyper masculinity kind of comes into play. And then now what that's going to activate or what that's going to evolve into, like you mentioned, Jay, some of those unhealthy behaviors. Right. How do I self-soothe how do i self-regulate when i'm experiencing this intense emotion oh well i only know how to do deal with it in one particular manner this is how i resolve conflict so this is when we see all of these hyper aggressive behaviors and this is the story behind it right this is behind the curtain um and again like you said it's, it's a situation where you know we have to get better just as a community especially of kind of doing better right like you said getting out of that the, the gender stereotype roles of, um, yeah, you know, when you're young, you can experience an emotion. It's okay. Right. As opposed to teaching them like, yeah, just bounce it off. Don't worry about it. It's teaching them how to regulate, right. How the resilience, all these other different aspects. Um, and for me, that's something that I really like, uh, for you, Dr. Gaston, that you can speak a little bit more about was, um, your work on the Jess Hill bro tour. Um, and that, you know, you and, you know, these other esteemed clinicians and gentlemen, um, how you guys just had this global initiative to that are designed to help black men, especially that are experiencing some of those deficits that that Jay just mentioned. So if you could, if you could um, just kind of, you know, expound on, you know, your work with the Just Hill Bro Tour and kind of how that came to be and, and such. Yeah, they're, they're, they're great brothers. Uh, so we've been doing it for about two years now, and uh, we'll probably be uh, uh, gearing up again for uh, another uh, tour uh, starting in the fall. Um, and uh, the book, well, the Jess Hill Bro uh, is based on Jay Barnett's book, Jess Hill Bro. It's a journal that he wrote for Black men to be reflective. He is a, uh, I believe, a marriage family therapist um, and uh, and former football player. And so you can you can certainly see the merging of sports and masculinity and, and mental health is where he started. Of course, he's expanded. Anyway, he brought us together uh, so that we could go ac uh, across the, the nation as the vision. But we started in the United States uh, really talking to black uh, men in college context and community context uh, about uh, uh, healing. But uh, before we could talk about healing, what we what we use the platform to do is to really help black men articulate or to bring to consciousness some of the thoughts uh, and experiences that they've repressed, suppressed, are not uh, deeply thought about or thought that no one else experienced them as well. So. 
That's why we have a multitude of us on the stage, because obviously we're black men are not homogeneous. And so we come at it from different vantage point and our stories, our experiences speak to uh, many of the folks who come uh, to to these uh, events. Uh, And then secondly, what we do is we uh, provide black men, black boys with language to understand those various subjective experiences. And so we talk about, you know, what is manhood? Well, what is what what is masculinity? You know, how does masculinity look different for black men uh, or men from the African diaspora versus white men and Asian men? What what how do we make sense of uh, gender in in context to race and other intersectional identities? Um, um, what what's what's been the psychological, cultural, and spiritual cause? of normative masculinity, you know, uh, and, and and that socialization process, which I believe is still is ongoing, regardless of developmental age, uh, black men even are still being socialized, depending on the context, uh, to understand their masculinity or perform it. Uh, and so, you know, what, what does that mean for you? How have you internalized it? How have you made sense of it? How does it impact your sense of self? How does it impact uh, your relational patterns? And, and the symptoms that you are uh, experiencing, how many or how much of those symptoms are uh, directly or or, or distantly uh, a consequence of the ways in which you've internalized masculinity and and the performance thereof. Um, And of course, we broaden it as we've uh, continued to do the tour, looking at we can't depoliticize trauma and we can't depoliticize identity. What, What are the ecological and oppressive intergenerational barriers. Young calls it, call Young calls it the collective consciousness or the collective unconsciousness. How is that collective unconsciousness seeped into uh, the uh, psyche of the Black male collectively, right, as well as individually? And how does that get played out? And so we talked about those, those subjects. And then, of course, we open it up uh, for, for Black men to ask questions. You know, as, as you can imagine, some of those questions are pretty personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have to obviously set the boundaries because it's not therapy. We have to provide, you know, the therapy, but this is not therapy. And we always have clinicians from that area, that city, that state come uh, to, to as referrals, as, as folks that, you know, they can see uh, past at night. But we do open men up to really be thoughtful about how they've been living and how uh, all of these things that we just talked about are impacting their sense of self. And helping them to then develop communities within the city with each other, creating new communities of accountability with one another. Uh, and of course, to further the exploration, you know, with uh, uh, mental health clinicians uh, and, and spiritual leaders in, in their area. It's been fascinating, man. I've, you know, we started at Norfolk State University. We've been to the Ohio State University, Oberlin College. We've been to uh, uh, Temple. We've been to uh, Philly uh, as well. We've been to the University of Tennessee, Tennessee State, Fayetteville. I mean, we, we've been to so many universities in so many towns. And it's interesting to see people who follow us, <laughs> who have been at, at one of our events and then follow us and they come back the next year. I remember one guy came to me. He said, Dr. Gaston, I was going to kill myself the first time that I came to a Just Hill Road tour. I was literally, uh, this was my last 
um, I said in my in my in my head, he said to me that I was going to hear what you brothers had said. I have to say, and I I didn't think it was much was going to come of it, but I was going to kill myself because the weight of being a black male was too strong. And he he literally from that one age, uh, it shifted him. Now, did it heal him, reconcile him? Totally no, but it it gave him uh, a will to live. It gave him hope to live, and he took us up on the referrals, and he got in therapy. And you could see him shift from the first time I saw him from the next six months in, in which I saw him. And so this this tour is really it's really powerful. It's it's really and then we want to further develop it because we are clear that uh, sitting with men for one night isn't enough. We deserve more, you know, and so we're looking for funding and opportunities to create a retreat type format where we're brothers for a weekend or, or a couple of days where we can you know, tease out some of these nuances related to different types of traumas, different intersectionalities, and and of course, of course, different developmental ages. You know, because those developmental ages have, as you know, different uh, salient issues that um, that they are navigating. Yeah, I mean, to Jay to say that um, the panel of gentlemen that are on the Jeff Hill Bro are esteemed and educated is an understatement like i was looking at the panel i was looking at you guys and i was sitting like the uh i had i had to you know take a step back because the 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 uh the ego macho machismo kind of got activated and i was just like oh, i thought i was doing something i mean <laughs> the specialty of just so it's so dynamic and so many other different areas and so you guys just have so many different clinicians that are able to hit on so many different points on so many different aspects of life um where it i i love the component that you guys just are planting the seed right like you said like the the individual that you just mentioned you know this like you said this sounded like this was his last attempt right and already kind of already had his mind up like you said the hopelessness was so heavy so severe and you know let me give this one last shot and for him to hear that that's where you plant the seed for him and so many other different individuals and that's where that the, the community that we were just talking about earlier in the conversation comes in. And now it's like, oh, like this places like this exist. You mean like this is what therapy can look like? This is what support can look like. This is what all of these other different things that we deserve that haven't gotten for years. This is what this looks like. And then the it's just beautiful. And it, it, it was just a, such an, a magnificent um, operation that you guys have going on and um i mean i'm it's it's dope it's dope to say the least uh so absolutely i'm happy you guys are going to be you know doing it for for another tour another year um absolutely i'll be staying posted for um you know any dates that are going to be in the area and and you know check you guys out and support you guys any way that i can but uh like it, it's amazing yeah like it, it's it's quite a lineup quite a lot you're doing, doing so much great work the one thing you know, well, the last thing that was very salient, you know, um, that Dr. Gasson said, and I'll leave it here, is that um, he was using the word deserve, right? And I, I got to, I probably use that word 10 times per week, right? And it's always, when we're talking to families of color, it's always related to some type of trauma that they're trying to sweep under the rug and move past, right? Most, and, and we have to understand, right, when trauma doesn't affect one person, right? So if, uh, a, a child gets sexually abused, right? Mom, mom is affected. The siblings are affected, right? Um, but 
deserve, right? How many times do I have to sit with young boys that experience depression, young girls who are who are um, shouldering shouldering sexual abuse, right? Uh, and talk to them and talk to their parents about how they deserve therapy. They deserve not to have to move past it tomorrow and just go to work, right? Um, how therapy is not just for white people or people who are rich, right? <laughs> or people who happen to be poor because they're forced into it, right? We, we deserve that attention. We deserve that space. We deserve that time to heal. So that's the only, that's what I'm going to end with, right? Because that that's why that part was the most salient to me. Because again, we break down stigma every day, but I can't tell you how many times I got to stop my interviews and just talk to a person or a family about how they deserve treatment. And it doesn't make them weak. It doesn't it it, it it doesn't make them less of a credible victim. Um, you know, it doesn't make them less of a man. You know, they deserve it. So yeah. we'll just yeah. leave it there. That deserve piece, man, that, that's very powerful. And in, in the sense of also. Um, wow. That. Uh, that not only do they just that they that they deserve it, but that, you know, dismystifying, as I know you both continually do that therapy is not just for chronic you know um uh, issues that you know we see in the media depression or you know suicide or you know yeah. Yeah, right. Right. that that for me that therapy is a vehicle of self-awareness of self-discovery and that you as a black person deserve not to just struggle and survive that you deserve to have a life that's thoughtful Right. You have, that's meaningful and that's full of creativity, um, just like uh, uh, folks who have the privilege that you that's a part of the decolonization piece for me, that 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 you have a right to be privileged. You have a right to experience the bliss of abundance yeah. and in this context, it is the of spiritual, psychological discovery of yourself. And I think that that can't be understated. And I'm glad that you. If you're saying that on a normal basis, um. uh, Dr. Gass and I, and again, I, I know we don't have forever with you, but at some, we're gonna have to reach out to you at another time because the whole there's a whole topic related to like relationship that we can't broach tonight because we're gonna go down a rabbit hole. But there's a whole bunch mm -hmm. of topics, thing notes that I got written down, things that I just want to you know talk to you about. So hopefully. You know, you can make some time for us at another time, you know, no matter when it is in the future. And we can kind of talk about relationships and culture and mental health and those things, too. Ooh, absolutely. <laughs> Dr. Gatcher, I can't say this enough how much we appreciate you making the time to, to converse with us, uh, to just inform us, to make us aware of you know all the great work that you're doing is there anything else that you know you have coming up that you would like to let everyone know any endeavors any other different engagements please please uh promote it get it on you know let everybody know well you know uh i am doing the lives as you as you've mentioned uh, casual conversations uh with dr Gadsden every thursday night at eight o'clock uh, and of course, you know, once I, you know, put it on YouTube, my YouTube channel, you know, be rebroadcast and seen at, at, at one's leisure. Uh, and so just join, you know, you know, uh, that uh, my Instagram is uh, Dr. 
O-S-H-A-N-G-A-D-S-D-E-N, Dr. Not the whole Dr. D-R, I'm sorry, D-R, O-S-H-A-N-G-A-D-S-D-E-N. Uh, become a friend, follow, and you'll see uh, when those lives are happening. Uh, my book is supposed to be coming out uh, mid-fall, uh, Decolonizing and Healing Black Masculinities Through Rutledge Press. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Um, and, you know, if you uh, are, you know, I'm not seeing many patients right now. Uh, because of my administrative uh, role, uh, but I do uh, uh, do uh, some vocational coaching and individual coaching. And if you are, are interested in uh, coaching services around performance, around identity, uh, myriad of issues that you may have, certainly you can you know hit me up uh, at the uh, Instagram. Uh, 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 site that I just gave you, uh, as well as my uh, website, www.oshangadstonphd.com, www.oshangadstonphd.com. And, and that's it for now. You know, uh, we're, we're still, you know, working and really de- redeveloping Hampton Psychology Department, really looking at creating, we are in the stages of creating of uh, a Black-centered, decolonized psychological program um, and uh, re-launching uh, our master's program next year. Uh, so we're doing some great things at Hampton University. I wish you brothers were uh, local or wanted to move to Hampton. Uh, <laughs> Trying to convince you to take on an academic position. <laughs> you know, as you know, more black men uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. as well uh, in these programs, graduate and undergraduate. undergraduate. So um, but yeah, that's what I'm doing. And just stay tuned. All right. There it is. You heard it here first, y'all. Dr. G, again, much pleasure, much blessings to you and your family. We appreciate the time and the energy for hanging out with us and, and dropping the gems and informing our, our audience and just the, the general public in the world. Um, Jay, as always, my good brother. All right. You uh you keep rooting for those Yankees, all right? Yeah, I don't know. Yo, man, see, I, I knew you was going to say something about that. <laughs> Listen, last place ain't good enough, man, right? It is what it is, man. But absolutely, brother, have a good week. Um, Those of you continue not only to make healthy decisions, but also it's the summertime, so continue to look good by wearing shopmentalhealthclothing.com by Dr. Jason Coleman. Go out there, continue to support, because we don't only want you to look good, we want you to feel good and think good also. All right? And of course, make sure you support Cammy's Closet, make a donation, you know, buy some brand new clothing, donate that, or you can make a financial donation. Either way, Dr. Osborne's going to make sure it goes to good use. You know, Absolutely. We just had our uh, most recent closing donation of providing brand new free essential closing to a family in need uh, with one of our mental health facilities with Penn Hospital. Uh, last week, went successful over uh, 50 items, 50 brand new closing items donated um, to a family in need. So, yep, Cammie's Clyde, the Community Closing Project. Um, it's doing well. We're continuing to move along. So, Again, Dr. G, appreciate you being here. Much love and blessings to you. Uh, Jay, until next week, my friend, and to uh, everyone else, wish everyone good mental health. All right, bro. Good night. Good night.